Hi, Michelle Sparks with you, illuminating anorexia, eating, self and body issues. Great to have your company. My guest today is Ryan Sheldon, founder of Confessions of a Binge Eater. This is a blog dedicated to educating, inspiring and helping people suffering from binge eating disorder. Ryan is proud to be a voice for men with eating disorders whose struggles with food oftentimes go unnoticed. Fantastic to have you with me today, Ryan. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. It means a lot to me. It's such an honor for me to be uh, interviewing you, the first male I have interviewed on my program and such an important story, Ryan. So let me ask you, let me begin by asking you, tell me about being a millennial male with binge eating disorder. You know, I, it's a great question. Being a guy with an eating disorder, I think, you know, brings its own challenges, but being a millennial guy with an eating disorder brings even more challenges um, in several different ways. We live in a society where eating disorders only affect women, and I say that in quotation marks because I don't believe that. Uh, a lot of people don't think eating disorders affect men because a lot of people are under the impression that eating disorders are caused by emotions. And men don't experience emotions. Only women are an emotional being, which, guess what? That's totally inaccurate. Men are just as emotional as women. I think that men just don't think it's socially acceptable to express their emotions. Um, yeah, look, I'm with you, Ryan. And that's such a good point. Do you know, I actually had a look at helpful males with eating disorders just last night and apart from the big organizations, the national organizations, I was really surprised to find that there were no specific organizations out there helping males. Now, males definitely suffer with eating disorders as you are very much aware. The idea about emotions too, that men don't have emotions, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? So I, I really hear you, that's a great answer. Can I ask you, on your blog, you say it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I could see my eating behaviours becoming a real problem. And it wasn't just about food. My eating was beginning to affect other areas of my life. Can you say a bit more about this? Absolutely. You know, during the time, I didn't realise that it was my eating disorder was affecting other areas of my life until it was brought to my attention. And also, you know, hindsight is 2020. Looking back, I realized it definitely affected other areas. Uh, the biggest area that it affected in my life were my relationships with my friends, um, yeah. my relationship with my family, um, and my relationship with my bank account, uh, my relationship with my friends. My friends stopped wanting to hang out with me because they would think that I only wanted to spend time with them if there was food involved. Um, my friends, they would say, Ryan, you only want to call me, you only call me when you want to go get dinner. And these were conversations that I had, not with like one of my friends, but with three of my friends. They would bring that to my attention. Um, my relationship with my mom kind of, you know, brought together with the relationship with my bank account because my mom was wondering where did all my money go? And we, it put a huge strain on our relationship because I, you know, would have to call my mom and ask her for money. My mom, she came to visit me in California and she said, where's all your money going? Like, I've, like this is crazy. What are you buying, Ryan? And I was like, mom, I'm not spending it. I'm not buying anything. So I signed up for Mint.com. I don't know if you're familiar with what Mint is. Uh, no, but Mint tell is, me about that. Yeah, it's an online website where you sync up all of your bank accounts and your credit cards and it kind of prints out a budget for you. And it also shows you where you where you have spent all of your money, kind of okay. 
broken down into different category buckets like transportation, vacations, entertainment, and it showed that 83% of my money was spent on food. Wow. Now, okay. that's a big deal. At that moment, my mom had a realization that there was definitely a, a huge problem here. Um, so I would say it definitely affected my relationship with my mother and my friends the most. And so when did it really fall into place that you this area was a, a problem for you, something that, like, whoa, I need to deal with this? When did, when did that crystallize for you? What, was it looking at your bank account? Was it talking to your mum? Was it reflecting on your friendship, some of the things you've said? What was it that sort of helped you see, hey, this is an issue? It was when I was sitting at lunch with my friend, and my, men, my friend mentioned something called binge eating disorder. Right. And I said, oh, what's that? So I grabbed my phone, and I looked it up. I'm not even joking. All of the symptoms that were listed, I had been experiencing. So I was like, well, this, is, this makes sense. And all of a sudden, there was no shame that was associated with this at that point. So I took it to my, um, my psychiatrist, who's also my therapist. And then after he did his research, because he wasn't too familiar with binge eating disorder, because binge eating disorder, although it's been around for so many years, it's just newly recognized by the DSM-5. So he wasn't really familiar with it, and after he did his, his research, he diagnosed me with binge eating disorder. Okay, so you, one of your friends actually reflected back to you, binge eating disorder, you'd never heard of it, you looked it up, you went, hey, these are some of the symptoms. Let's just, for our listeners, that's a good point, um, this is a program for people with all sorts of eating self and body issues, so let's just um, define binge eating as best as we can. The DSM-5 does actually give a criteria for all eating disorders, but we know that a lot of people do also suffer under the radar. Um, with binge eating disorder, it was actually part of the DSM-4, but it was under a category called EDNOS. It's now come out on its own. But yeah, do you want to tell us about some of the symptoms that you, or what you read there that went, aha, that's, you know, these are some of the symptoms, so that people who are listening to this that may not be familiar, like you were not, what are some of the symptoms that say this is binge eating disorder? Absolutely. Well, you know, just some of the symptoms um, from a diagnostic level, uh, feeling that your eating behavior is out of control. So do you ever feel a loss of control while eating? Eating when you're full or not hungry. Yes. Eating rapidly during binge episodes. So this was something that my sister would always, you know, get on my case for when I was younger. She would say, Ryan, you're eating too fast. What, oh, I can't believe how fast you eat. You're going to hurt yourself. And I just didn't pay attention to it because I didn't really care. I didn't, what she said didn't make sense because I thought that I was just eating normally. Um, eating until you're uncomfortably full. This is a big one. I would eat until I felt sick. I would eat so much that I would actually say, God, if you make me feel better, I will never, ever binge again. Um, yes. Frequently eating alone and in secret. This is a huge thing because binge eating, it's a sh very shameful thing. Um, and this is probably the biggest thing is feeling depressed or disgusted, ashamed, guilty, upset after a binge episode. So immediately yes. after I would binge, I would feel disgusted with myself. I would feel unworthy. I would say to myself, no one does, I don't deserve to be with anyone in a re relationship. No one, like, I don't deserve anyone. Um, and another one is frequent dieting without weight loss. Yes, I hear you. And the other part that's in the diagnostic criteria is that there is not a compensatory behavior. So you're not, you're not purging, you're not vomiting, you're possibly not going back to overexercise, but 
you can go back to trying to restrict, can't you? And it, did you find that? Were you were you trying to go back to restrictions? I, you know, I did. I did find that. I, I don't think it's as extreme as you know it would potentially be for like bulimia almost, but um, or anorexia. I would find myself if I had a binge episode, which by the way I like to call my binges events because they were well thought out and well well planned for. Um, okay. But. I uh, I would find myself the next day not wanting to eat anything because I was so disgusted with myself. Sure. So there is that sort of compensation emotionally and, and in terms of intent, but it may not happen. You may end up finding that you're binging again. Would that be correct? Uh, that would be 100% correct. I would have a really bad binge episode on Saturday, like Saturday, let's say I had two binges on Saturday. Sunday I would wake up with the intention that I wasn't going to eat anything, be very restrictive, and then I would just binge right over, all over again. Yes. It was a vicious cycle, really. Yes, I hear you. Um, Ryan, I don't know if you know my story, but you know, binge eating was actually part of my story too, and I actually developed anorexia, so that was the first part of my journey. And then as I came through that, I developed Ednos. I couldn't make myself be sick and I started to move into binge eating later in my journey before I recovered. So it's interesting, binge eating, whether it's part of anorexia binge, binge eating type or bulimia or binge eating disorder or something else under the radar that people don't have a diagnosis with, binge, binging, uh, being out of control, feeling guilty and ashamed all those, and wanting to compensate, um, they are very, they're very much part of the eating disorder spectrum, aren't they? Absolutely. I think that, you know, I talk to so many people with, you know, different eating disorders, men and women, and I, and I'm, I'm maybe, and I'm generalizing a little bit, but in my experience, I do believe that when you have one eating disorder, you kind of go in a cycle and you can potentially get other eating disorders because there's people that I know that have binge eating disorder that are so afraid if they touch food, they're going to lose control. So they just stay away from it completely. So then, does that make them anorexic? I don't really know, but I'm not a doctor, but it's definitely a, a really vicious cycle, and they're all kind of catalysts for one another, I think. They certainly can morph. One, one diagnosis can morph into another, but there are some, you know, we, we don't, don't need to get into the tin here, but there are some differences in the diagnostic criteria that do oh. help us differentiate, say, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, ednos, etc. But we won't, we won't get lost there because that's yeah. not the point of our interview now. Can I ask you, Ryan, what, what help did you receive or have you received? You said you were working with a psychiatrist before you actually got the diagnosis. Have you had other help apart from that therapy, which it sounds like you've had some help there? I, I absolutely have, and I want to, you know, state before um, I go into that that I have been going to therapists and psychiatrists for my entire life, and never once has eating ever been brought up in a therapy session. Uh, and I think that's really important for people to know because, unfortunately, at least here in the states, the way it works is doctors are not too familiar with eating disorders, uh, okay. and that's just because during their schooling, they spend maybe two weeks on them. So unless you're a specialized doctor, there's really no need that, that they don't think that there's a need for them to screen you for eating disorders. So I went years without being ever asked a question about my weight issues or my eating issues, which is unbelievable considering I was suffering from an eating disorder and my weight fluctuated throughout my life. Um, yeah, sure. So that's shocking. Uh, 
ever, ever since I was diagnosed with binge eating disorder, which was in March of 2015, I have been going to um, my therapist, and who's also my psychiatrist, and he is admittedly not too familiar with eating disorders, but he, you know, has definitely done his research, and now every time I go to him, which is on a weekly basis, a huge part of our conversation is surrounding food. But to take it even a step further, what's been, you know, the most therapeutic and cathartic thing to me is actually creating my blog and communicating with other people suffering with eating disorders because when you have somebody that messages you or contacts you and tells you that you have changed their life, really, really, really empowers you and it kind of has allowed me to become extremely mindful of my situation and um, and, it's, and it's helped me, to be completely honest with you. Sure. I know that that might not be the traditional way that many people go, but for me, it's helped me and I'm not perfect. I relapse, you know, frequently, but I definitely went from having maybe 25 binges a month to having maybe three. Yeah, great. Wow. I was going to ask you, that was my next question. Where are you now in your journey? Would you say you've recovered? Oh, you know, people ask me that and I don't think, some people may disagree with me, but I don't think that I would ever feel comfortable saying that I have recovered from an eating disorder because I think it's a fair statement to say recovery. Then again, you know, recovery with eating disorders isn't black and white. It's very different for everyone, but I am pretty confident that this is something that I will be struggling with for the rest of my life, but I'm in a place now where I can admit that I have an eating disorder and come to terms with it. That was the biggest thing for me is essentially coming out of the closet with having an eating disorder. Because um, as soon as you do that and you can talk to your close friends and your family about this, it brings peace and it brings acceptance and it, you know, also brings, you know, accountability to this. So I definitely think I'm in a place where I definitely mess up. I mean, I binged last week and I have a friend that I call and I'm like, I binged, I feel horrible about myself. But then my friend reminds me, Ryan, don't be too hard on yourself because look at all you're doing. And I think when you come to that place, it's like, I binged. Okay, I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm not going to let this turn into a spiral and go down that rabbit hole. I'm going to pull right. myself out. And I'm just going to say it is what it is and continue to move forward. Fantastic. And, you know, you've just touched on a number of really key issues in my view. One is that acceptance is such a key because we cannot even begin to manage something that we will not acknowledge or accept is actually happening in our life. That's one thing. Um, something else you said that I thought, oh, really important to touch on. The definition of recovery. What is recovery? My, I suppose my definition and I come from the space where I do believe recovery is, is possible, full recovery. And what I mean by that, this is my definition, this is what I've experienced, is no longer using unhelpful eating behaviours to deal with the difficult emotions and life circumstances that you face. So you are, con now this is, this kind of leads into my next question, Ryan, because what I was going to ask you is what have you learned about yourself through the process of having and moving through binge eating to where you are today? Oh gosh, I have learned that I am extremely resourceful and that I am an extremely emotional man. Um, right. You know, this is something that really, I don't know if people, people that suffer with these eating disorders know how big of a toll they can take on your life. But people that don't necessarily suffer from an eating disorder don't realize that this is, this, is a, this was a huge part of my life. Um, if you, you know, if you would have asked me, because when you talk about binge eating disorder, it's not just about the act of putting the food in your mouth. It's also the obsessive thoughts that surround it. So if you would have asked me a year and a half ago, Ryan, how much time did you spend a day thinking about food? 
I would with confidence say that I spend 85% of my day thinking about food. Um, so I learned that I can, that I had to be vulnerable and that I had to just, you know, ask for help. Because I think that as a guy, again, I'm, I'm supposed to portray this macho outlook on life. Like, I'm the guy. I'm supposed to be the one that does everything right and uh, takes care of the woman and all of these things. And in reality, it's like, sometimes I need taken care of. And I think it's, you know, I've learned that I'm a sensitive, vulnerable, pers vulnerable person. And I learned that I can ask for help from people. And it's well-received. Yeah, great. Great, Ryan. That kind of leads into some other questions because what I was going to say, what have been some of the keys for you in progressing to where you are today? But maybe that's some of the things you've just said in terms of accepting that you're, you have, you know, you're vulnerable like any human being. We're all vulnerable. But you're also saying what I'm hearing you say is in our culture, men have, there's such an expectation on men to have this can-do um, exterior that they, and, and not to show their emotions, not I think you said you're very emotional, but I guess the reality is we're all emotional beings, aren't we? That's part of our personality. And I suppose for me, in, in, in working with people in this area also, it's um, being okay with our emotions, being making friends with our emotions, learning to recognize and accept and manage our emotions, and particularly in this space, learning to... Um, deal or manage our emotions in ways that I, my favourite phrase is that are more health promoting and life affirming because some of the ways of an eating disorder which are very understandable when we don't have other tools, when we don't have other strategies, guess what, that's what we're going to do, we're going to do what we know and what works for us. But if it's taking us away from health and away from life, if it's consuming our money, our time, our emotions and our you know, and we're feeling really awful about ourselves, can we learn, can we learn a different way to deal with our emotions? Have you found that for yourself in your journey? Have you been able to, have you received help to get some strategies and some skills that perhaps you didn't have before that have helped you move forward and manage your emotions differently, binge less often, etc.? I mean, that's, you know, that's where you see the difference, but it's kind of like, the outward thing, but what's going on inside? It's learning to manage those things, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Um, you know, a huge part of my recovery and me managing everything has been my family, uh, which I think are also the ones that when I first told them about, you know, my eating disorder, which I only told my mom at first, she kind of was like, what are you talking about? Wasn't She's like, I don't even know what this disorder is, because unless it's bulimia or anorexia, they don't really, she didn't know what it was. Um, and then giving my family the permission to kind of, I don't want to say this in a, in a harsh way, but to check me, to put me in place when I need to be put in place with my eating disorder in a very nurturing way has helped me significantly. Um, yes. We would go, when, in the past when I would go to a restaurant and I would order six items off of the menu, I would feel like I was being judged. I would feel, you know, my mom would say, what are you doing? Or for so many years, my mom also justified the amount of food I ate because she would say I was gr a growing boy. So my mom was kind of like an enabler at the same time, possibly to my eating disorder. But I also felt, you know, very judged by my friends. And now if I go to a restaurant, now that I've given my friends and my close family permission, if I order too much, let's just say off the menu, my friends say, Ryan, maybe you should only get one thing and then see how you feel. And if you're hungry after, get another thing. And I don't get mad at them or I don't feel like I'm being judged by them anymore because I have given them permission to 
be a part of my recovery. Um, so they definitely help me manage my emotions. I think having having an ear that you can you know vent to and that you can trust, that you can call when you're feeling like you are about to have a binge or a relapse is a huge thing. Also, being able to share my journey with others has been a huge part of my treatment and recovery as well. Fantastic. And you know, one of the words you just mentioned there that I just love is nurture. I think so much about eating disorders is about soul nurture, isn't it? Emotional nurture, real nurture. I think sometimes food becomes a way of nurturing what it, it, the physical nurture is. We need physical nurture and we need comfort, but sometimes we need to find it in different ways. So I love I love what you're saying, Ryan. It's really wonderful. Can I ask you, what would you say to other men and women struggling in this space, in the binge eating disorder space? What would you say to them? I would say that, first of all, the binge eating disorder is a real disorder. No matter what anybody says, it's a real disorder. Um, yeah. That's something, believe it or not, I hear doctors tell their patients, because these people come to me and say that their doctors say that this isn't a real disorder. Um, so that's a huge wow, thing. Wow, that's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. Also, to know that you're not alone. Um, I think men often, and I'm saying this is obviously all from a guy's perspective, men often feel they're alone because, A, men don't think that, you know, eating disorders affect them. Um, and also, if they do know that there's something wrong and they share it with one person, that person could potentially say, men don't get eating disorders. Um, for example, I had a uh, a girl's, a guy's wife reached out to me recently and say her husband was suffering from bulimia. So it wasn't binge eating, but from bulimia. And he had a conversation with his mom and dad. And the mom and dad said, what, are you what do you mean about bulimia? The only girls get that. Wow. And this, these are things that I hear all the time. And just knowing that you're not alone and that other men are suffering from this is a huge thing. If you t put it into perspective and say 20 million women in America will or currently do suffer from an eating disorder, in their lifetime they will, that means that 10 million men will. Those numbers are huge. So I think it's just putting things in their perspective and saying, okay, men, we, have, we get eating disorders, we have body image issues. Knowing that you're not alone is just, I can't emphasize that enough. It's just yeah, fantastic. I, I love that, Ryan. And I think what I've noticed too is one of your big things, one of your big themes and motivations is helping people overcome shame and um, so I hear that there. It's, it really is such a powerful thing to come out of the closet, to come into the light, to share that is, gets rid of the shame, doesn't it? Shame is such a horrible emotion, such a horrible experience, and it just keeps you locked up. But tell me about that for you because I know that, um, yeah, shame's a big motivator for you, helping others overcome shame or not, not be trapped by it. Totally. You know, I, uh, I used to be... Uh, Oh gosh, I used to be this shy little little boy and I was in a relationship with my ex-girlfriend for probably four years and it was a really horrible relationship. She body shamed me for a lot of it, um, compared my body to her ex-boyfriend's body and would say things how her ex-boyfriend had a better body than I did and believe it or not, that has stuck with me for you know this many years later. So um, there's a lot of shame that goes is associated with body image issues and then when it comes to this eating disorder, there's shame associated with it because a I'm a guy I'm not supposed to have an eating disorder um, or you know I 
I walk down the street and I'm afraid to eat. Didn't, I'm af I was afraid to eat in front of my coworkers because I was afraid I was going to be judged because I have mm. eating issues or an eating disorder. Um, there was all of these things that were associated with that. And then the minute that I realized that I found out that what I was suffering with was an actual real condition was the minute that my life changed. That was the minute that all of the shame was, you know, taken off of me. Um, believe it or not, I used to, I mean, now that I'm talking to you, it's like, how could I have any shame anymore? I don't really. Because um, mm -hmm. I'm proud of it. Because this is, you know, obviously I wish I didn't have it, but maybe I'm supposed to have it because I'm supposed to be the change in this world that is leading the change where men come out with having eating disorders. So it feels really good. I'm making a message out of my mess. I'm turning my mess into a message. And I yeah. think that that, <laughs> That's great. That, that really, you know, says something because shame is something that can really just wear on you and prevent you from living the life that you want to be living. And when I came out with this and I, you know, if I'm ever on a date and I tell a girl that I have an eating disorder and I tell her what I'm doing, I don't get too look. Nobody looks at me sideways. It's always like, this is amazing. I can't believe that you're doing this. You're like changing people's lives. This is incredible. Good for you. So it's a very, people embrace it. Ever, I've yeah. never, maybe one time someone has not embraced my eating disorder, but it's nothing to be ashamed of. Great stuff, Ryan. And we're going to wrap up pretty soon. I just want to ask you, what's one thing you wish someone had told or taught you five years ago? Maybe you've already pointed to it in the interview, but what's one thing you wish someone had told or taught you? What's something you wish you knew five years ago that you know now, you didn't know then, it would have really helped you? I wish I would have been asked about my eating habits in my therapy sessions. Uh, if that is even part of the question, because I, I don't know where my life would be now if I had been asked five years ago about my eating habits or my in a therapy session. Um, does that make sense? Yes, it does. So what you're saying is if someone could have helped you identify that you were dealing with something that you could bring more attention, more focus and more help to, is that what I, am I hearing you right? That's what I'm hearing. No, you're hearing that 100%, right? Because, you know, when I look back on it, there's definitely a lot of, I get angry and I have a lot of resentment for the fact that I have been going to some of the best doctors in my yes. area. No one has ever, ever, ever questioned me on my eating habits. What, you know, my, my primary care doctor, I was in her office and she said, Ryan, you need to lose weight. Just to, you know, paint the picture, I'm a six foot four guy. I'm about 300 pounds. So I, my body, I, you could look at me and just say I look like a big guy because I'm very tall and broad shoulders. But my, ther my, psych my primary care said I need to lose weight. So she prescribed me diet pills. Um, and wow, without even asking much about... Without even asking anything. So yeah, I took the diet okay. pills. Because obviously I'm like, okay, I would like to lose weight. So they didn't work. Because that wasn't my issue. Because again, binge eating disorder has nothing to do with hunger. So what I did, and this is a this is the sad truth, and I'm very open about this. But it was during the summer, and I didn't have a job, and I was out. Of, it was during school. I um I would take sleeping pills during the day, so I would sleep, so I wouldn't binge and I wouldn't eat. Wow. Uh, okay. I couldn't control it. So it's just really unfortunate that I had to suffer through that. And then I remember going back to her office a month later and I got on the scale and I had lost 30 pounds and she hugged me and congratulated me for losing 30 pounds. Meanwhile, under her watch, I was taking sleeping pills every day because I couldn't control my binging. Wow, that is such an amazing picture. So in actual fact, she's hugging you for losing weight, but in actual fact, you're doing it in ways that are so uh, dangerous to yourself yeah. and, and your emotions and your physical body. 
Yeah, what? I hear you. So, what sort of so so you would uh, you would think a health professional, someone who's alongside you, what sort of question might have worked for you? Because it's a it's a very sensitive area, isn't it? In terms of, I do think there are people who work with us that um, you know can use grace and wisdom to ask the question. Hey, tell me about this area. Are you? How's that for you? What what's so the question I'm that might have worked for you? Well, I'm a very open person, but to be fair, if a doctor would have said, "What's your what are your eating habits like? Do you have a normal appetite?" I probably would have said, "Of course, I have a normal appetite." Because take in mind, I didn't really know that anything was wrong with me. It's all about the questions that the doctors ask. Yes. So if I, there's two questions that stand out to me that really would have helped me, do you ever feel a set a loss of control when eating? I can relate to that. Yes, I yes. can. It's yes. almost like I disassociate and I black out when I'm eating. That's how it was. The bigger one for me, the biggest for me is what percentage of your day is thought about food? That was huge for me because, again, binge eating disorder is, you know, it's a very obsessive compulsive, you know, disorder as well. So it's 85% of my day was thought about food. Now, I didn't know that that wasn't normal. If, if I asked my friend who doesn't have an eating disorder, how much of your day is spent thinking about food between five and 10%, depending if it's breakfast, lunch, like whatever. I mean, mine was 85%. I can't believe that I didn't get fired from my job when I was right, at work because right. all I was doing was looking up recipes and different foods to, you know, cook and binge on. Yeah, no, they're great questions, Ryan. They're great questions. Fantastic. And you know what? They're questions that I think someone would have to have some sense that this person's struggling with an, a, a, an eating issue. But even to, I wonder if it would have even worked to ask you, how do you feel about your eating behaviours and habits? Would you, would that have got anything from you at that stage five years ago, or did it need to be more specific again? Just thinking for people who are alongside or working with. You know, I think that that's a great first question to start. Um, you know, I guess to throw the question right back at you is that if you had asked me that and I had said. Um, if you would have said, you know, what's your eating habits like? And if I would have said, well, you know, I have dinner and then maybe I have like a, a late night snack and you're like, what? And you would you go ahead and ask me what that snack is? And if I would have said, oh, it's a cheeseburger, then would you have gone any further or would you have just thought that that's something that's normal? Well, I really do get into that territory, but I'm just thinking sort of more for um, maybe GPs or counsellors who are working with someone who is not specifically presenting with Overt eating yeah. issues? No, look, I, I think it's the, it's a bit of a moot question because I, I specifically do deal with people <laughs> with eating issues. But I do think if you ask someone how they feel about their eating behaviours, that uh, feeling is a good word for women. They'll say, "Oh, I'm really upset yeah. or ashamed or yeah, whatever." But I do think you're right in terms of the questions. Do you lose control? That's really a very targeted question. And unless you had a very good suspicion that someone did have a struggle, they may be very, they might find that very difficult. That question, do you think? Oh, absolutely. And you know, I think a lot of people with eating disorders, and this is, I'm, I might be generalizing, but this is something that I've heard a lot, is they lie when they're yeah. getting asked these questions. I found that more people are open to talking about their, you know, their sexual history or their drug addiction if they have one, their their drug use history, but when it comes to food, people don't want to talk about it. It's this taboo thing. But I think that you know, definitely if, people, if someone was asked that, I think that it would be 
if you had asked me that, like, did I ever feel a loss of control with food? I probably would have squirmed because I, yeah. I do, but I don't know how to even explain it. But I absolutely do, yes. And how are you feeling with your food? I do, now that I'm thinking about it, I do think that that would be a fair question to ask because, you know, I, I didn't feel great about it. So I think that that could have led into more deeper conversation. That's, that's what I'm thinking. It's just a very gentle question to just then start to explore without sort of allowing the person some space to reveal what they're comfortable revealing. And then you can be specific. Do you lose control? Do you find yourself out of control? Do you ever get rid of food? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. What advice or encouragement would you give to your teenage self? This is a question I love to ask people because often eating issues so often begin sometimes earlier but can begin very much in that adolescent period where we're finding our way between childhood and early adult life and you know our teenage selves oh we go through so much it's such a transition period what what advice or encouragement would you give to your teenage self if you can cast your mind back and think about Ryan at I don't know 15 years of age or something what would you say what would you advise? first of all I love that question that question like gives makes me feel warm inside um you know, I think, gosh, it's pretty, my answer is so simple that you might not even think it's a good answer, but I would tell my teenage self, Ryan, just love yourself and accept yourself because that is just, I, I can't tell you that, you know, in every aspect of your life, confidence is a huge thing. Um, it, you know, like you want to get the job that you want to get. You got to be confident. You want to get, you know, if you want to get into a relationship with the person you want to get with, confidence is the most attractive thing and you can't be confident in your life if you don't love yourself. Um, mm. And love is con just contagious. I mean, how can I expect anybody to love me and accept me for who I am if I don't love and I don't accept myself? So yeah. I would just say... Love and accept yourself, and there's going to be challenges because, man, as you get older, life gets, I think, more challenging and more challenging. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't get simpler, does it? Yeah, no. no. The rewards are higher, but it's just love yourself. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I, it is an endearing question. It's one that I think any of our listeners would do well to, to ask themselves, what would you say to your younger self? Because so often we're so critical towards ourselves, and yet if some young person came to us with some of the things that we were thinking back then and feeling, we'd say, hey, you're okay. Yeah, it's going to be okay. You know, we'd give them a big hug. And that is so much what we need to do with some of our younger selves, isn't it? And our younger people just go, hey, who you are is beautiful. You know, and let oh. that beauty start to shine. Totally. I talk to people and like they're, they're going through things in their life and they're younger than me and I'm just like, gosh, I remember going through that when I was your age and I was just like, I wish somebody would have just said, love yourself, accept yourself, you're perfect the way you are. Life would have been maybe easier. Yeah. Well, Ryan, it has been, honestly, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. I'm talking with Ryan Sheldon, the founder of Confessions of a Binge Eater, and he has over 12,000 followers on Instagram. So you can look him up. Ryan Sheldon, Confessions of a Binge Eater, and thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing your story, and it's such an important story, Ryan, because you are so right that males, you know, it's so lovely to talk to you, a male who is willing to say, hey, this is what's going on, and I'm here to be a voice and to share the road and to, you know, let others know it's okay, this is part of the journey of life, this is where I am right now, and I've come from here. Here I am now, and I'm going forward. And, you know, big hugs to you, Ryan. 
Anything, any last thing you want to say to our audience today? Uh, I just want to say to everybody, just, you know, continue your journey and, and be strong. Yeah, and be love strong. Yourself, love yourself. Love yourself. Yeah. Beautiful. And on that note, Ryan Sheldon, it's been a pleasure. Okay, so that was Ryan Sheldon, Confessions of a Binge Eater. Some of the great take-home points there that I think Ryan made was, you know, accepting you have a problem, asking for help, finding someone you can trust to hear and not judge you when you're struggling, realizing it's a real problem. Binge eating disorder is a real problem. You're not alone and there are others out there and there are other men out there, importantly. A couple of other points I really took away was that body shaming affects men. It's not it's not something I didn't know, but it's lovely to hear that from the mouth of a man speaking on behalf of men and speaking to women about some of the words that come out of our mouths and the way we behave can really have that same impact on men. Also, look, don't give up. There will be people out there who will understand and not judge or shame you. If you haven't met them yet, I'd suggest you get in touch with your National Eating Disorder Association. It's a good place to ask for relevant points of connection and referral. You can certainly tune in with Ryan. You can um, get in touch with me and um, anyone else in your area who is working in the eating disorder space. Something that would have helped Ryan five years ago was a big one for me. He said that if someone had helped him identify that he had a problem. So on that point, I want to let you know I'm going to put on my website a simple questionnaire. It's called SCOFF, S-C-O-F-F. It's a number of questions that you might want to just take a look at. It comes from the Victorian Centre of Excellence in Eating Disorders. And it's a great thing that you can just... You answer yourself, and if you feel like, yep, I've got something here that needs further investigation, take that to your doctor. Take that to your treating health professional. If you need further help, I can help you too. Michelle at michellesparks.com. Love to hear from you. Love your feedback, any questions. And until next time, travel well. 